You're listening to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. If it's about recovery, we're gonna cover it. It's like a big group therapy session, but it's free. <gasps> Welcome to Sober Exposure with me, Jennifer Wild. Let's go. Welcome to Sober Exposure. It is me, Jennifer Wild. And uh, okay, so a little bit about me. Uh, all you got to know is that if it's more, I want it. <laughs> that's basically, yeah, that's basically, that's what this show is all about. Um, so a lot of recovery shows, people want to, you know, just only talk about their alcoholism and drug addiction. And so just like the normies out there don't really get it, but I think everybody can relate to being restless, irritable, and discontent, being um, addicted to more, getting that outfit and then wearing it once and being like, okay, the buzz is over. Now I want another one. So that's what sober exposure is all about. And it's just basically like a big therapy session. We're just going to all sit down and laugh and cry together. And I'll tell a couple of my like hilarious stories, like my dad kicking me out of the Van Halen tour bus when I was 16. That was interesting. But (laughs) so I'm an ex radio personality and uh, turned into a really bad drug addict. I kind of went from glamour to the gutter kind of like uh, grew up in the suburbs from the burbs to the turds, you know, behind the dumpster. So this episode I'm really excited about because a lot of times in the meetings in AA, or even if you're not going to AA and you're doing it another way and you say you want to stop drinking and then you're sober for like a month and everything doesn't come back and your life is imperfect you go back and you use your alcohol and drugs and everything goes back to shit and you just lose all hope. And the problem there is there's a cliche in AA. And sometimes the cliches are really annoying. But this one is don't leave before the miracle happens. Okay. So basically today, that's what I want to talk about. And that's why I invited my guest, Chris L, everybody. Hello. All right. Can I have, can I have my dogs uh, (laughs) clapping too? Cause they're really the only ones here besides my producer. But so the, the reason Chris, the reason why I invited you on is because I was just, we were just saying off air. So I am a 12 stepper. This show is not only about 12 steppers. There's other ways to recovery, but personally, that's my way. That was my way to recovery was, you know, AA and the 12 steps. And I'm an excitement seeker. And sometimes I get like bored a little bit, you know? And so Chris, I don't know much about him, but I do know that there's a noon meeting at my, you know, kind of like my AA club. And it's, I think Monday through Friday, every day at noon, or is it every day? Okay. So yeah, Monday through Friday. So, so Chris chairs the meeting on Friday and the attendance is like, 100% more, which is kind of sad, but kind of, you know, it just shows why I'm inviting you on the show. Like everybody in the frigging community shows up to hear Chris on Fridays and he does, you know, kind of bribe us by bringing like 20 pizzas for everybody (laughs) in the meeting. (laughs) But like, okay, so, so this dude's got a story, like my story is pretty cool, you know? But I, I have a feeling it's a different type of story. Mine's like, you know, crazy rock and roll chick on tour buses, um, sleeping with rock stars. And then, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> but I, I really want you to tell us about what it was like, what happened and what it's like today, because 
you are a true miracle. And and tell us, tell us why, how, well, what happened. Awesome. So yeah, you hype me up a lot because you know I, I do a lot of um, a lot of a lot of quote unquote twelve step work, and I spend a lot of time in rehabs and rehabs and detoxes. And one of the things that I always like to preface my story with is people have a very difficult time relating to my story because I'm what people consider a high bottom drunk, right? Um, because lots of stuff didn't happen to me that happened to other people. Like I, I've never lost a job. Um, I never drank in college. I never drank in the military. Um, never lost a relationship, and, and I've never gotten a DUI. But I have been sober since I was 20 years old, actually 19. Um, and as a result of being sober for that length of time, certain things that you get promises brought to you as a result of doing the work of the 12 steps. And one of those things, one of those promises that have come true for me is, is, is almost like clairvoyance. I see life through a different, different pair of glasses, so they say. So I can look back on my life and I know exactly why none of those things happened to me. See, I never drank in college because I didn't go. Um, I never, <laughs> I, I, I've never, never drank in the military because there's, there's no way my dumb ass would sign up for something that someone was going to tell me what to do all day. Didn't happen. You never got, you never got a DUI because nah. you never had a car. <laughs> no, it's better than that, right? See, okay. so um, uh, I've never lost a job because I was a drug dealer my whole life. Um, I've never <laughs> lost a relationship because by the time I had burnt things down, there was nobody left around. And I've never gotten a DUI because by the time I was old enough to drink and drive, I was sentenced to life in prison with 54 felony convictions as a direct result of my alcoholism and drug abuse. Let me just uh, preface by saying, kids, please do not try this at home. Exactly. Exactly. Keep going. Keep going, Chris. And we're, I got sentenced uh, in the state of Michigan under something called the Habitual Offender Act. And a Habitual Offender Act says three strikes and you're out. And when I faced the judge on my 54th strike, um, they sent me away for life. (laughs) And life in, in Michigan under the Habitual Offender Act is 47 years flat time. No possibility of parole. Okay, so let me ask you this: What what were you in front of the judge for? Drug dealing? Um, I, I, no, do you, you want to share guys. this? Okay, um, um, right, I was that, in a club. That'll do it. I was in a club and um, and got in a fight with some guys. Beat the beat the bejeebers out of them. Um, walking back to my room when when the cops were called and these guys came into a side door and put and put a gun to my head. Um, I ended up taking the gun, shooting them. And um, and that would be self-defense, except when they were on the ground, I had to empty the rest of the clip into all of them. And once you once you cross that line, the state of Michigan um, says I escalated the violence and um, charged me with three, three counts of attempted murder. OK, now, if you guys knew the Chris that I know and, and I know you can't see Chris, but I mean, Chris looks like the guy that works at the bank. OK. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh yes, yes, that, that's right. Yeah, this is this is okay. So, what was your upbringing like? Okay, so let me let me backtrack a little bit. One of the reasons that I was in the situation in Michigan um, was with fifty three felonies and not already in prison was because of my upbringing, right? See, so a lot of times you hear in the rooms um, people talking about um, you know they drank and that first drink was euphoric and all of that stuff. And it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Not me, Mm -hmm. not me, not my story. Mm -hmm. So let me back you up a little bit. My earliest childhood memories or, and and I relate this in, in rehab so that people understand that I understand. And not only do I understand, I can show you, you don't have to be that person or that victim anymore. My earliest childhood memories were of such extreme abuse that it was, um, 
it was un, un, unreal. Um, I, I've got scars and psychological scars as a result of the animals that raised me. Um, mm. You know, I used to get locked in what's called a steamer trunk. I, I don't know if you're probably not old enough to know what those are. There's these, these trunks. Um, they're about three feet by, you know, four feet. I used to put them on old steamer bumps and they, they were humpback. I would get locked in, the, in that trunk for sometimes a week at a time at a very young age and come out Holy literally crap. covered in my own urine and my own feces. They wouldn't feed me. Um, my mother's idea of teaching me to not touch things on the stove was to pour a pot of boiling water down my back when I reached up to get a, to touch the pan at a very young age. So that first drink for me and, 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 and the mental abuse that went on as a result of that, you know, my, my mother would hated my father. Um, the crazy situation but all of my life i was told you know i was i wasn't worth anything i was never going to be loved i was a piece of crap i was just like my father and he was a piece of shit and all of that stuff and all of that stuff that went along with it so all of that set me up right for for drug addiction and, and alcohol abuse at a very young age so when i took that first for me it was it was marijuana when i took that first hit um i, I didn't get that your for feeling what happened was i stopped feeling <laughs> The pain and uh, yeah, you numbed. It went away. It went away. Right, and uh, you felt nothing. So you didn't have to feel the pain or the or the, the beatings or the 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 steam. What's it called? The steam. First of all, steam Chris, this is like this is such a serious thing we're talking about. But I just have to tell you the fact that you said that I was too young to know that. Just like <laughs> I'm like so excited about that. Anyway, so all the plastic surgery and Botox is paying off. <laughs> My doctor thanks you. So, okay. All right. So the first hit, you, you're numbed. You yeah. feel nothing. And, like um, a chorus line, I feel nothing. Exactly. All right, so that set the stage, you know, that sets the stage to move forward. And and drugs and alcohol became my um, my answer um, from, you know, six, seven years old is, is my oldest recollection. So um, as a result- Six? Hold on. Hold on. Back up. Yeah. Where does a six-year-old find weed? Older brother. Okay. Yeah. Older brother. Yeah. Older brother's actually the older brother's drawer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, me and me and an older friend knew my brother um had weed and, and that's how it started. And, and it's a good thing that your older brother wasn't into fentanyl. <laughs> Jesus. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So um so as my story progresses, you know, I went through um, the continuing uh, abuse and insanity and, and all of this stuff. You know, my mother, my mother um, kept replacing the men in her life and each one of those men um, abused me physically um, because she kept attracting the same kind of man. Right. You know, the sickness is the sickness. And uh, yeah. so it just escalated to, to the point where I was 13 and 14 years old. And um, and. Uh, I just lost it. You know, you can only beat a dog for so long before they turn on you. And uh, I literally, um, my stepfather at the time, he was beating me and I lost it. And I ended up beating that man to the point of near death. You know, we went out of the second story window and, and literally, um, I, uh, uh, yeah. And so I was politely asked to leave the uh, home. Eye for an eye, man. I'm sorry. Yep. Eye for an eye. <laughs> Amen. You know, I was politely asked to leave the home at gunpoint, you know, um, and, oh, and, I oh, checked, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I checked my ass to New York City where, you know, I was living in Providence, Rhode Island, and I checked my ass to New York City um, and ended up in similar circumstances and doing similar things there, you know, and, and, and progression and things getting worse and worse and worse. Um, so I ended up running back to Rhode Island and by a weirdest twist of fate, um, I found out that the guy that I thought was my father my whole life 
was in fact not my father. Um, he was somebody that my that it was convenient for him to marry my mother. It was convenient for her to tell him she she was pregnant with his kid. Yada yada yada. And at some point, by weird circumstances, I found out who my real dad was. And so my life went from oh my gosh, insanely crazy to, oh my gosh, insanely crazy squared. Um, my dad uh, has- a, How could a, he be any worse? Yeah. Um, because my dad has lots of vowels in his last name and he did work for people um, that ah. had lots of vowels in the end of their last name. And um, when he discovered that I was in fact alive and his son and the story fell together, he literally took me from being in the gutter to put me in a position of um, extreme insane you know, at 17 years old, um, I went from not having a dime in my pocket to six months later having $250,000 in cash in the drop ceiling of my apartment. And I was running, Damn. you know, 100, 100 kilos of cocaine off the coast of Cuba. Working for the good fellas. Working yeah. for the good fellas, running it all back to Rhode <laughs> Island, you know, um, which is how I got to the place. Fast forward, you know, 10 years or eight years or whatever it is in, in Michigan with all of those felony convictions in the state of Rhode Island, if you've got the right last name or you've got the right connections and you have enough money, you don't get in trouble. Um, you, you don't suffer consequences. There's literally a judge in the Rhode Island at the time whose middle name was the fix. So you showed up uh -huh. with a hundred thousand dollars in cash in a briefcase and didn't matter what the crime was, you went free. And one of the examples that I use for that is me and a homeboy, we walked into a club and this guy had literally just met this girl an hour later. We walked into a club, and somebody across the room is laughing, uh, you know, guys laughing when we walk in and my friend is all high out of his mind on coat and goes over to the guy and says, what are you laughing at? And the guy's like, what are you talking about? The homeboy I was with pulls a gun out, puts it to his head and pulls the trigger and blows the back of his brain, blows the back mm. of his head out with 15 people standing within 10 feet. 13 <laughs> of those people show up and testify against him and he was found not guilty. Jeez. That's the life of no consequences that escalated the insanity of my life. So here I am, this 17-year-old animal um, that had been mistreated and abused and let, you know, let loose on the world with those kind of resources behind me. So quickly, my life when, you know, it, it, I, I couldn't go to, my, my, the joke was I couldn't get to Tuesday without getting arrested. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was insane. It's just like another day. Yeah, yeah. another day. So um, Wake finally, up, take a shower, shit shower and shave and get arrested. Get arrested. Nah. And, and, and you know what, here's the insanity of, 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 of the whole situation, the insanity of, of being locked in that, in that psychological mayhem of addiction. It was my normal. Like everybody did this. You know, yeah. I, you asked me, my life was normal because everybody did that. Well, yeah, everybody I knew did that because I surrounded myself with other assholes just like me. Right. right. So we all did the same exact thing. So we were normal. Um, yeah. yeah. So at some point, you know, I ended up, the DEA ended up kicking in my door, um, and coming to get me and, uh, they caught me with a whole bunch of stuff I wasn't supposed to have. I got arrested. The people that I was working for found out that, you know, I had been using my own product. You know, I went from making 20,000 bucks a week to, you know, having to put 10,000 bucks a week in to stay even. Um, well, yeah, the good boys, they don't, the, the, the good fellows, they don't like when you use your own, when you use their product too much. Well, rightfully so, right? Because a drug yeah, addict is, is unreliable and will, will yeah. do anything to save their own skin. So you get pinched, you get knocked off, you're going to rat people out to get out. Well, I never did. So they looked at me and said, listen, um, you have two choices. We can put you in rehab or we can kill you. 
<laughs> so, yeah, the they tried to make me go to rehab, and I said no. No, 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 yeah. So, I uh, hope you said yes while I, you're here. Well, so. here I am. So I very yeah. much said yes. And my first stint in rehab in the 80s, um, I was just, just knocking on, on 18 years old. Um, they paid 100 grand for me to go into a 28-day treatment program in uh, Westchester, Connecticut. And uh, and I was in there with, you know, governor uh, was in there with rock stars, with their rock stars, kids and uh, and all of that. Yeah, you weren't sleeping on a plastic mattress. I've been to both. I've I've been on the plastic mattress rehabs, and I've been to Malibu. I got to tell you, I learned more in the plastic mattress. No, I learned more in the plastic mattress. Malibu is a lot more fun, Uh, but I learned more on the plastic mattress. But anyway, let's let's hear about let's hear about your stint in Connecticut. Okay, so uh, so I go into rehab, and I'm here to tell you that you know, like I said, I've been sober for a long time. Um, at that first rehab, they didn't have AA meetings. Um, they didn't have 12 step programs. I think they may have brought one in, in the whole 28 days I was there, but I'm here to tell you, I found the solution in that rehab. I found a solution that absolutely worked for me. And it was, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, the reality of it. And, and that solution was, was, was amazing. Um, I mean, you know, she was five, five, eight, she weighed 110 pounds, <laughs> black olive skin, long brown hair, you know what I mean? And you laugh, yeah. but it worked, right? It well, worked. Chris, guess what? I found the same solution. And as a result, I have a 16 year old kid sleeping right in the next room. But anyway, nice. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So that, okay. that solution worked for me, right? So, I, I mean, sincerely. So she, um, you know, she got out a couple of days before me, warned her family about, you know, who I was and, and, you know, the kind of street thug that I was. And, and so I get out, and, you know, I go to the home and then the porta cachet and the butler and the, the Rolls Royce and all that stuff. And, and, I, and I'm here to tell you, it worked. It worked for me. Because here's yeah, the irony of it, right? This is the 80s. And this girl had never seen cocaine, right? She didn't <laughs> like people that did drugs. And I couldn't stand drugs. And I was in there for cocaine. She was an alcoholic. So we get out and, and it was, it's a perfect solution. She's going to keep me from getting high. I'm going to keep her from drinking. And it worked. And then on the eighth day, we were in a hotel yeah. room, <laughs> you know, and, both and, smoking rock and, and doing shots, you know. Right, right, right. Of course. Come on. Of yeah. course. They are going to get They're, You know, we're going to get each other high before we're going to get each other sober. Two and that's just how it is. Willy, as they say. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so fast forward as a, as a, as a result of... You know, my good decision making process, um, that young woman got pregnant and um, and in the process of all this, I started working for my my old folks again. And and um, of course, I couldn't keep my hands out of the cookie jar and, uh, and they mm-hmm. found out about it. And they mm-hmm. came to me and they said, listen, if you weren't, if your dad wasn't who your dad is, you'd already be dead. So we've given you two choices. You can leave, never come back or we'll kill you. Hey, choice number Bye-bye. A. Choice number A. So, me and this young woman, we escaped to Florida. Um, she's pregnant. I decided at that point, and I was at this point in my life still where I could stop. And I did. And I did. Um, she, uh, I didn't want my child at the time, I didn't want my child to find out or live the life that I had led. I wanted them to be, I wanted them to be loved. I wanted them to have all the things that. I wasn't given. So I stopped. And, um, and the problem with stopping and truly not doing drugs or alcohol is as addicts and as the whole addiction thing goes, we tend to substitute other things, right? In the 12 I was going to say, we're, yeah, we're still recovery. miserable. Yep. We're still miserable. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 you know, Alcoholics Anonymous, 
12 steps, the 12 steps have 200 words. And of those 200 words, the word alcohol is only mentioned once. Because alcohol is not the problem, right? It's the problem is is the addiction, and so you could take the word alcohol out of there and put any other word in there. I, I've used lots of them in, in place, and at this specific specific instance in my life, I use the word work. So I plugged work okay. into the addiction, and and I and I made it, man. I was I was 18 years old. It was the 80s. I was working in TGI Fridays. And, okay, I was you know, going to say when you say work, you're you weren't talking about you know the old the old no, kind of work. Nope. Yeah, He's okay. going to go legit. Yeah, yeah. Got a kid on the way. He's going to get. All right, yeah. You're going to get a real life. So, um, you know, I was making a hundred and I think I made 145 thousand dollars that first year as a waiter at TGI Fridays. Shots. Um, oh yeah, I was oh. working 20 hour weeks. And and are the they cool hiring? Is, are they open? I know it's you know, <laughs> yeah, it was crazy over there. They're in, seating uh, inside. I know it's COVID, but yeah. <laughs> just kidding. sorry, go on. <laughs> so yeah, so, so yeah, you know, that's one thing about alcoholics. You know, we're above average people. There's no doubt in my mind. I, I've never met I've never met an alcoholic that can't make stuff happen, and I did, and and I ended up buying that first house um, in uh, Lake Buena Vista, and, and I ended up paying cash. And now, normal people, right? When you go to look at a house and the, they say, "Well, how are you going to pay for it?" You say, "I'm going to pay cash." Um, that means you're going to figure something out to get the money for the people, yada yada yada. But here I am, an 18 year old kid, and I'm buying the house cash. And when I go to buy the house, I show up with a duffel bag full of money. <laughs> <laughs> And they look at me and say, what's that? And I said, it's cash. They said, what are you talking about? I said, for two months, I've been telling you, I'm going to pay cash for the house. (laughs) I'm a waiter, for God's sake. (laughs) So anyways, long story short, that's what happens. And um, and unfortunately, my, my son, he's born and he's born very prematurely. He's got some lots of health issues. Ends up in, in, in NICU for two and a half months in the hospital for three Eventually, he uh, he comes home and uh, we make the decision since I, I'm doing so well as a waiter and as a field trainer for TGI Fridays, I'm going to work. She's going to take care of the kid. All good. Um, and then uh, he was born in August and on uh, November 17th, um, 1989, um, I came home from work and uh, in the middle of a swing shift, which is where you get a break in the middle. <laughs> And mm. I pull up to my house and I go into my house and my house is eerily quiet. You know, when you just get that feeling, it's eerily quiet. So I walk into the house mm. and I start calling out for my wife, whose name was Michelle at the time. I call up to my three month old son, you know, AJ and nothing. So I go upstairs and go into the nursery. And as I walk into the nursery, my son's in the crib and I just sense something's not right. And I walk over to him. And he's not breathing. Um, he needed lots of special care as a result of being a preemie. And um, yeah, and, and, and his mother was nowhere around. So I scoop him up and uh, I'm performing CPR on him and on the way to the hospital. Or at some point, he dies. He passes. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's like, there's there's not just no words for something, you know, for anything like that. And, and Michelle was nowhere to be found. So I take it that she was dabbling outside the ho- the household. Yes. Doing, so uh, doing so I go to the hospital and, um, and this is before cell phones, right? So uh, mm-hmm. my son passes, I, I go home to find her and find out what's going on. And <clears throat> I knock on the neighbor's door I said, man, have you seen Michelle? And he's like, Chris, what's going on? I explained him what happened. He says, well, she's down at the 
corner house was the last place I saw her earlier today. And I said, well, that dude's a, that dude's a coke dealer. And he, she, he's like, yeah, and I said, we don't do drugs. And he's like, eh. So I go back into my house and I used to keep a nine millimeter under the, under the bed and I've got that no, nine millimeter. No, again. No, no. You with the guns, Chris. Come on, yeah. come on. Um, I go down to, uh, go down to the corner house and I politely kick the door in and, uh, going to the home and I hear noises out of my wife that should not have heard without me being present. And, um, and I walk up into the bedroom and, and my wife's in the bedroom on top of this fucking Coke dealer. And, uh, and I lost my mind and I walked up to the guy and put the gun in his mouth. And I pulled the trigger and the gun jammed. I stepped back, racked a second round, pointed at his head and pulled the trigger again. And the gun jammed. See, this is this is the first time that I know. <clears throat> excuse me. I know that God was present in my life. Yeah. I took that gun and I pistol whipped that guy to the with an inch of his life. And when I was done beating him, I took the pistol and I threw it at him. And when I did, it hit the wall behind the bed, and the gun discharged and shot over my head. God kept me from killing that guy that day, and I know it. <clears throat> As a result of that, as a result of being an 18-year-old that was incapable of processing those kinds of emotions and incapable of dealing with that kind of pain, <clears throat> I, uh, I went off the deep end. And, and, you know, you'll often hear in the rooms that, you know, people say as an excuse, if you had the life that I had, you would drink the way that I drank. I, I, I say that with a caveat. If you had the life that I had and you handled it the way I handled it, you would drink like I drank. And I, and I didn't take a sober breath for two years. Um, I mean, just to the, the depths of hell, um, you know, the chronic cocaine it was mostly cocaine for me at this point, lots of drinking, um, not a sober breath and my life spiraled. I went back to Rhode Island and my friends who I had run from previously had even taken pity on me and said, uh, you know, come on back. We'll, we'll help you. But I wasn't. I, I wasn't capable of being helped at that point. I couldn't deal with the pain. And so as a result of that, at some point, you know, the arrests and the publicity and, and you know, being in the newspaper and all this stuff, my guys finally said to me, Chris, you, you got to go and you can't come back. Um, see, I kept getting arrested, kept getting, you know, felony this, felony that, slap on the wrist, go home. And they say to me, you're drawing too much attention to us, go. And, and that's how I ended up in Michigan on that fateful day where I, where I shot those three guys. And uh, without, without consequences previously in my life. So I needed something like that to happen to me in order for me to change. And that's when the miracle happened, right? That's when the miracle happened. I'll never forget... <clears throat> I'll never forget, I got arrested. Um, I'm out on a million dollars bail and uh, conned some people into putting up their house because that's what I was, right, as a con. Um, Mm -hmm. I conned some people that I had befriended to put up their houses as collateral for the bail. And I got out of of jail, went and found my lawyer, who in the 80s I was paying 450 bucks an hour to. And I I said to him, you know, Richard, you know, how much do we got to get and who do we have to get it to? And he looked at me and said, what? <laughs> and I said, yeah. come on, man. Oh, by the way, I'm in Midland, Michigan. 
Um, nobody's ever heard of Midland, Michigan. They only do two things in Midland, Michigan. They're only, they're only known for two things. One is fake boobs and the other is scrubbing bubbles, right? Dow Chemical, Dow Corning. <laughs> they invented the silicon implant and scrubbing bubbles. They're, they're, wow. Yeah, they're, well, I'm, they're, I'm forever <laughs> indebted to them then. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there you go. So uh, end up, you know, I end up going to Richard and say, who, who, how much, what I got to do? And he looks at me with his face all screwed up and said, what the hell are you talking about? And I said, come on, man. I know how this works. How much is this going to cost me? Who do I got to get it to? He was like, listen, dude. He, he says to me exactly this. Toto, you ain't in Kansas no more. And I'm like, what? Well, yeah. I was like, don't you know who I am? And he says, yeah, right. I know exactly don't who care. you are. I know exactly who you are. I said, oh, he says, yeah, your prisoner number, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, what? Yeah. He's like, listen, Chris, mm-hmm. let me break it down for you. He says, the state of Michigan have, have laws. They're called the Habitual Offender Act. It's called the Habitual Offender Act. He says, there's nobody that can do anything for you upon guilty conviction and you are guilty there's no ifs or buts about it everything's on video um you go to prison for life without any possibility of parole and i'm like i said and he said oh and life is 47 years in the state of michigan state of michigan they lock 18 year old kids up for life for having so you're being charged as an adult i was i was i was 18 uh, past 18 at this time so in michigan they'll lock an 18 year old kid up for life for having more than 500 grams of cocaine. They do not play around in, in their judicial system. So he explains to me that, you know, I'm going to prison for the rest of my life and it takes him an hour to finally, you know, get that home because I had never suffered any consequences, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I, I finally, I'm getting scared at this point. I look at him and say, so what do I do? He said, Chris, I, I, there's nothing you can do. He says, why don't you try to get yourself some help? And I'm like, oh, I heard, he said, there's nothing you can do. I heard, well, listen, get yourself some help and you'll get off one more time. So I did. Yeah. I, I put myself into a 90-day treatment program in, uh, in it's called 1016 House in Midland, Michigan. And I'll never forget because I walked in there and uh, at this point in my life, you know, I was an absolute winner. Um, I was living in a hotel, so everything I owned fit in a garbage bag. So I walked in with a black garbage bag, you know, shipped on my it's shoulder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, I'm yeah, sure there'd be another hottie in rehab that'd right, be more right? than happy to take you on with you that garbage bag. No, right? no, no, no. I got big aspirations. See, the, the, the director of clinical, she was about six feet tall and absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And oh, I know the moment up. that she met me. She had to have some of Chris. I mean, yeah. had to have some of Chris, right? Now, keep in mind yeah. that I'm a crackhead. Everything fits in a garbage bag. Oh, and I mentioned and I'm missing a front tooth. Oh, the front tooth. And I'm facing life in prison. Amen. I am a yeah, catch about that. to yeah. door. <laughs> I am My kind of guy, baby. Amen. Yes. I can be your next bad decision. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, I, they put me in that program. I put myself in the program. And uh, after about 26, 27 days, um, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this. I'm, I'm sitting in the common room in this house and the director of clinical, she comes in and she goes, oh, I've, been, I've been wanting to talk to you. And I'm like, yeah, here it comes. Yep. She's going to have her summer, Chris. Right. So she, she starts off with her thing. And she goes, oh, hang on a second. She turns around and these two big dudes, when I say big, I'm talking big dudes walking behind her. And now in my mind, I'm going, well, I'm not really into this kind of thing, but if they want to watch, you know. (laughs) (laughs) uh, We're so sick. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's true. (laughs) Right, right. Unfortunately. 
So she looks at me and says, listen, um, she says, we have a problem. I said, oh, we have a problem. And I'm looking around saying, yeah, we'll figure something out, right? And she says, no, 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 um, um, you have to leave. And I said, I what? She goes, you have to leave. You're one of those people that's too unwell. We can't help you. And I was like, what are you talking about? She goes, she says to me, you're one of those people that are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And I'm like, no. I used to say that about myself. That was my excuse. What that 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 excuse kept me using for years. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay. So, all right. I'm sorry. Did not mean to interrupt. But constitutionally incapable of being honest with yourself. That is kind of a scary uh, uh, paragraph there, or sentence, or whatever the hell it is. I flunked English, but um, yeah, because I will tell myself that. I'll yep. say, well, I can, I'm constitutionally incapable of being honest with myself. So give Any me another fucking <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's, it's, it's sunny outside. All right. I'm sorry. So she, okay. She tells you, yeah, she tells you, they can't help you. Get, get, get right. out. She says, you're okay. too sick. You're going to, you're going to die in prison. You're going to die on the streets. You're going to, you're just going to die an alcoholic and drug addict. Hmm. And I looked at her and said, but this is my only way to avoid life in prison. And she looked at me hmm. and said, Chris, you're making my point for me. Exactly. You are going to prison for life. There's nothing anybody can do for you. There's nothing a judge, nothing a lawyer. And I said, you can't. She says, you have to leave. Now, I don't know about anybody else. But one thing I know about me is I am a spiteful son of a bitch. Right. (laughs) So go ahead and tell me I can't stay sober. (laughs) Watch. Right. Right. Yeah. My first year of sobriety, absolute spite. So the (laughs) only only thing that this program did for me this treatment center did for me um, was, was piss you off enough to stay sober for the first year. A- amen. And take me to AA meetings. So okay. at this point, I didn't have any place else to go. You know, you hear that a lot in AA is, um, you know, last, last house on the last block. Street of the, last house on the block. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here I am walking in, walking into the community center with, you know, all of my belongings strung on my back, looking like Santa Claus, missing tooth, you know, the whole nine yards, doing that walk of shame across the community center, um, you know, conference room or community center, center, center room. And uh, I walk across the room and there's these two old guys that had uh, had been around while I was at the meetings and gotten me to know a little bit. And one of the old guys looks up and sees me walking across with the bag across my shoulder. And this 80-year-old dude who's all crippled up with arthritis starts laughing, like starts laughing at me from across the room. And I look up at this guy and I'm like, man, don't you know who I am? And and and, and like, what are you doing, dude? And, I, and as I approach him, he's laughing and, he, and he's elbowing the guy next to him. His name is Kay. This guy's name was Larry. And they both start laughing at me. And, you know, there's no cool points for knocking an old guy out. There's, there's, there's nothing there for that. So I, uh, I walk up and I'm like, dude, Larry, what are you laughing at? He looks up at me and says, you. And I'm like, why are you laughing at me? He said, because we knew you'd be back. And I'm like, what are you yeah. talking about? He said, where else are you going to go? And that was like a two by four across my chest. And it was, you hear about this a lot when you listen to people's um, stories of recovery, the aha moment. He was right. Here I am, 20 years old, nothing else going on in my life. Only place I got to go to is an AA meeting with 200 other alcoholics. And he said, are you done? And I said, done with what? He says, are you done? 
I said, I, I don't know. He says, well, why don't you try something new? I said, like what? He says, like shutting up. He says, why don't you take the cotton out of your ears, stuff it in your mouth, sit the fuck down and listen to people that can do something that you can't do. And I'm like, there's nobody that can do something I can't do, that I can't do. He says, when was the last time you freely stayed sober? <laughs> Before I started using when I was like six, I was five. Yep. Oh wait, when you started using it, six. I was five. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. That was the start of my recovery. And I'd like okay, to say so, that was the last time I took a drink, a drink or a drug, but it's not true. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll hear about the not. Uh, it's not true part. You are listening to Chris L on sober exposure. So not the last time you drank. Correct. Uh, Ooh, meaning you drank again after that, right? When you had your yeah, epiphany. Um, you know, I came as a drug addict, ended up as an alcoholic in the rooms. You know, that's the scary part about about Alcoholics Anonymous is is if you come as a drug addict and you hang out long enough, um, alcoholism is contagious. You'll get it from some of the old guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it yeah. happened to me. There was a woman involved. I'm not going to go into details, but I ended up drinking again and quickly of became course. a daily drinker to the point where um, – I, I couldn't get out of bed without taking a drink to stop the shakes. Um, mm. But long story short, the cool thing about alcoholism being contagious, so is sobriety. So if you hang out with the old timers and do exactly what they do, you can go a day at a time without drinking. And and that's what ended up happening to me. And I ended up going to prison with with a year of sobriety at 20 years old, for life for 47 years. Which How takes scared me to, were you? The miracle yeah, part like, of, of my story, right? And 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 I, I just I got to hear about those like the the, the fear that must have been I just the, insane, the hatred, the fear, insane. The, I was a young kid, right? I was I was twenty years yeah. old. I, I emotionally, I mentally, was probably ten. Um, and you know, to go into to face in prison for the rest of my life, um, and doing it sober, right? So at a year sober, you still still have the crazy thoughts about. You know, I could drink, I could get high, I could do this, I could do that to do yeah, it. Yeah. 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 Um, but for me, the, the, you know, it, it was, it was just dark. one more time before I go. I, I mean, I, this, I, I can't even believe it. Just one more time before I, you know, before I got to do life, one more blowout, yeah. you know, come but on. That's how it, what, what, what had been finally pounded into my head is that there's no problem or situation in my life that was so bad or so big that a drink or drug wouldn't make worse. And my history showed me that. And so one of the things that, that my, my recovery is based on, one of the foundational principles of my recovery is that nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's will by mistake. Um, and I live that on a daily basis, um, on a daily basis. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of fast forward along. I went to prison um, after being in prison for about three years. I started doing some research in the law library because God has blessed me with, with a relatively high IQ, which is one of the worst things an addict can have, right, is, is, uh, is a high IQ. So I found a loophole in the law. Um, it required the judge to assign the, 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 the care of my good time and parole over to the parole board. I sent him this eloquent letter, very eloquent letter. You know, I, I like to brag about that letter all the time because it went something like, <laughs> Your Honor, please sign this form, right? <laughs> I sent it off. The judge signed the form, sent it back, and in that moment, I went from doing flat time to having a sentence that was parole eligible. My classification got knocked down from supermax, where, where I was in my cell 47 out of 48 hours um, in a row, to medium and then minimum. And then I got released on what they call community control or a tether. And then I had seven years on parole. So my whole, my whole stint 
with the whole Department of Corrections was, you know, 11 years, including, including my time on parole. So that's one of the biggest miracles in my life. Second miracle in my life in that moment. Uh, when I got out of prison, I started working with my parole officer. He would say, I was serious about recovery. I had brought meetings into the facility that I was in. Um, I get out, I continued the same thing, you know, continued to go to meetings, work the program. Um, parole officer gets to know me, sends everybody that he believes is really legitimately trying to get sober to me. I take time out, I sponsor these guys, I grow up a family. Um, and then blah, 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 blah. Um, I build a, a chain of computer stores in the state of Michigan. I own a Radio Shack franchise, um, become very successful. I sell everything, decide. Um, I get married to uh, to uh, this wonderful woman. Um, we decide we're moving to Florida. We come down on a honeymoon. I buy a house. I'm still on parole. I go back to Florida. My parole officer tries to get my parole transfer to the state of Florida, and it's denied. Now I own a house in Florida. I'm in Michigan and I can't, you can't go. go. Right. So my parole officer calls me into his office and says, Chris, listen, he says, you got a year left on parole. I'm going to tell you one thing. He says, from this point forward, I will never show up at your house. I will never show up at your job. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. All I want you is in this office second week of every month. I said, what? Mm. He says, do you hear what I'm saying? I said, I'm not sure. He says, I don't care where you are or what you're doing. He says, but if you're somewhere where you're not supposed to be and you happen to have an interaction with a police officer, you get pulled over for speed, speeding, whatever. He says, you I need to you, call bro. me so that we can put paperwork together that says you were, you were allowed to visit wherever it is you are. And so my last year uh-huh. of parole, I was in the state of Florida while I was on parole in the state of Michigan. Another miracle of this program. <laughs> so I'm going to take you through one more very dark time in my life. I'm three years sober. And when I say three years sober, it's three years of true sobriety after I got out of prison um, because I did some things in prison that weren't sober. I never used drugs, never used alcohol. But sobriety to me is more about not drinking and drugging. It's about a spiritual way of life. I did some things that run spiritual. I'm not going to go into details. Three years out of prison, the woman that I fell in love with, um, yada, 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 we had two beautiful children. Um, and I had everything. I had money. I had sobriety. I had relationships. I had people who loved me. I had two amazing, amazing children. All of the promises had come through in my life. March 7th, 1996 at 1041 in the morning, a 24-year-old kid with two drunk driving convictions blew through a traffic light and um, <clears throat> struck the car with my my girl and my children in it. And killed them all. And the only thing <clears throat> I did right in that moment was not drink and not drug. And that guy that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted a punch in the face that was laughing at me at that community center so many years earlier saved my life. Him and, and six of his 80 year old friends didn't leave my side for three months. They slept on my couch. They put me in the shower in the morning. They fed me breakfast. They took me to meetings. They sat in my office all day long. And some days it was just me staring at a wall. And I was catatonic for three months. Absolutely catatonic for three months. And, uh, but I didn't drink. And I don't know about anybody else, but for me, my emotions go out of whack when I introduce faraway substances. And the pain that I was in in those moments, I'm relatively certain I would have finally blew my head off as a result of drinking and drugging. 
And, and you know, you read the big book and, and, and you hear other people's stories and you realize that that's an outside issue, right? Uh, and, and, and for me, it took a lot of counseling and a lot of work to even be able to, even to be able to face it. But I have, and, and, and I moved on with my life. And, and things, things change, things get better. Things, you work through it with a lot of counseling. And, and I'm here to tell you my life, my life since then has gotten, um, just gotten different and better. Uh, you know, my life today, looking back on that, I, you know, I, I, I've done things in sobriety that, that, uh, <laughs> that I could never imagine. I mean, you know, fast forward 10 years from that, you know, and I'm, 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 I'm sponsoring a lot of guys. I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm living my life. And, and I end up in the middle, in the middle of the Orlando music scene, you know, I'm, I was responsible for the first two years of making the band and executive produced those shows and involved in the whole, in the middle of the whole in sync and backstreet boys. Oh, thing like the, and, oh yeah. I was going to say backstreet boys stuff. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. That, Can you that, introduce that me itself. to Justin Timberlake? Yeah. Well, those kids all, you know, I lived, uh, I had a, you know, 9,000 lake and those guys all Hi. were at my house every weekend, wakeboarding and jet skiing and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> and there's another whole story t- attached to that, but, uh, but I, I sense that we're running out of time. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have we're definitely gonna have you back, Chris. We're gonna, you have so much to give. I mean, we, you have. First of all, I do. I want to talk. I, I want. There's there's a story he told in the meeting, but we really don't even have time for that anymore. We're gonna do that next time. But um, you have so much to to give, and I see why everybody comes on Friday to hear your message because everything that you went through. Okay, don't leave before the miracle happens, and. We, I want to talk about your miracle today, where you are yep. right now, where you're doing this show from, so we can see where you're, you know, where, where all this work and the bright side of it is. It's a tragic I, story, really, you know, absolutely. but it's also such a story of hope and inspiration because there's so many people out there, especially me, that lack gratitude and say, I can't do it, or, oh my God, my, my you know, my son won't go to school today, or I, I, I gained three pounds, or I don't like my outfit. You know, come on, come on, come on. Just listen, listen to Chris and keep you. You know, you know what I'm saying. Come on, there's never a reason to pick up a drink or a drug. Exactly. So, and and as a result of that, right? So all of the the miracles, all of the promises have come true for me. You know, I, I I'm I'm married to an amazing woman, and and the reason for that marriage, you know, we could go into, and and I will briefly. Hell, my wife hates it when I tell this story, so I'm going to tell it. Um, so Good. six years ago, um, I I'm, I'm diagnosed. I have stage four B cancer. Um, the cancer started my throat it spread through my whole body it's now in my brain and, and can't and yeah they told me six years ago i had three months left to live and um and so you can't make this shit up okay no. so so funny story so i was dating my wife at the time i came home and, and i own some international property i own some properties in the caribbean and, and in other parts of the world and i, and I have nobody to leave it to right so i came home and and i said to her and told her you know what the doctor said i have three months left to live and uh, i said so sweetie i said you know we love each other everything's great Will you marry me? And she looks at me without skipping a beat and says, I can do anything for three months. Ah. <laughs> See, now, now that's an almost true story. It's an almost true story. <laughs> and my wife hates it when I tell it that way. It's an almost true story. Right? What actually happened was I said, sweetie, you know, I, I, they're telling me I have three months left to live. And she looked at me and she said, Chris, I love you so much. She said, if I can only be your wife for three months, I'll marry you today. 
And, uh, mm-hmm. and we've been married for six years now, you know, and, and, and here I am and I'm still walking around. And I am talking to you from, from my, my second home in, in North Carolina. You know, I live in West Palm Beach, Florida. That's an absolute blessing. Um, I have a second home that my wife always wanted a cabin in the mountains. So she's got one. Um, you know, I have relationships that are so deep with so many people that it's absolutely amazing. I got a sponsorship family. I see, I take guys through the 12 steps of, of the program and, and, and watch their eyes open up. And I watch their, their families get put back together. I watch them get their jobs back. I watch them have children. I watch them, watch them get married and become successful contributing members of society. You know, if, if I don't show up at a meeting for three days in a row, people show up at my door. Um, I'm successful in business. I can't work at McDonald's. I have 54 felony convictions. I own an international <laughs> business. I employ people all over the world. That's that's sobriety. That's that's living the program. That's God doing for me what I cannot do for myself on a day-to-day basis. Just because I one day at a time, I don't drink, I don't drug, and I seek his will for my life, and I do the next right thing. That's it. That's all you have to do. It's that simple. And if this, me, I I was a seven-year-old stealing old ladies' purses on the 1st and the 15th to get high. If I could come from that scumbag and have the life that I have today, it can work for anybody. All you have to do is do the work. Yeah. Yeah, the work. That's that's the that's that four letter word. That's that four letter word. word. But Chris, man, I mean, I I just I thank you so much because what a power of inspiration. And if anything else, because I'm all about me. Um, like I say, this shows a, like a group therapy, and and this was my therapy session. You saved me two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I don't have to go to my therapist because I'm I'm gonna go through my day today with gratitude. Amen. I uh, you know, and um, just gratitude for the program, gratitude for one more day sober. And they say Alcoholics Anonymous is the fastest uh, growing club that nobody wants to join. <laughs> and yes. I, yeah, I, I'm grateful to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And thank you so much for your share. And we're going to have you back on again. Sober Exposure, Chris L., Jennifer Wild. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you. Need more? Well, get addicted to Sober Exposure. You can subscribe to mindbodyspirit.fm or check me out on my website at soberexposure.show. Everything you need to know. Also on Instagram at soberexposure underscore podcast.